Thank you, Becky and praise team. Would you pray with me as we open God's word? Father in heaven, we need eyes to see, we need ears to hear, we need hearts softened to believe. And so God, we pray that you would do that by your spirit, please come and do that. So that as we read your word, as we hear it preached, that something happens, something that that we can't control, something you control, Lord, call in your people and encourage us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. This is kind of a a follow-up to um, the Easter sermon last week. You're just smiling. Oh, Emily's smiling because this is what the youth heard on Wednesday night. So this is just the the fuller version. This is the non-discussion version. Usually when we celebrate the resurrection on Easter, I think we assume that that the disciples were celebrating Easter morning as well. But even even though Jesus had finished his work and had left the tomb, all of his disciples were still in the dark. The the, The women did not go to the tomb that morning to worship. They went to bury a friend. They had no idea what had happened. And so we see... The good news of the resurrection kind of unfolds itself throughout the day as Jesus actually has to appear to people and remind them and tell them. And so um, bear that in mind as we, as we read this story that probably many of you may be familiar with, Luke 24, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> that very day, the day of uh, the resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him... They did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Excuse me. Imagine, imagine tomorrow you woke up blind. Now, I don't say that to make light of people who are blind and who struggle with blindness or whose sight's decreasing, but imagine what it would be like to do all the things that you normally do except you can't see. All the things you don't even think about, getting out of bed, putting your feet on the floor, jumping in the shower going to the kitchen, getting your coffee. You can't see. How frustrating would that be? And we see that in this passage, that, that blindness leads to frustration. Right? It's not hard to imagine how these two men felt. All of their, all of their hopes and dreams had been pinned to Jesus. Right? They had they were excited. Right? They had they had loved the week. Right? They they were there for the high of Palm Sunday as they walked with Jesus into the city, as all these people are throwing their cloaks and palm branches on the ground, welcoming him, welcoming him in as, as the king. And every day sitting in the temple listening to him teach, listening to him humble the Pharisees listening to him exercise his authority, it could only get better, right? The kingdom was coming. God was going to do something great with Jesus. And then Thursday night in the garden, he's arrested. Early Friday morning taken to the high priest's house for a sham trial an interrogation, really, where he's slapped and spit upon. And then he's trumped over to, to Pilate's to be officially condemned and then crucified. An execution so painful that Roman citizens weren't... It was not used on Roman citizens. So shameful that the church didn't even use the cross as a symbol for 350 years. 
all of their hopes, all of the excitement of that week, all of the build-up, crushed in a day. And as they watch him hanging on those two wooden beams nailed together, all of their hopes trickling out of his veins, dripping into the dust on the ground. No, it's, it's not hard to imagine that they were sad. They thought God was going to do something. And at least in their minds, he hadn't. But that was because they were blind. Their eyes had not yet been opened. And that's where we are as they, <clears throat> these two disciples, probably not part of the twelve, not part of the eleven rather, they're heading home, most likely back to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They're disheartened. The shell shock of the weekend is probably beginning to wear off. Their feelings are starting to come back. And they're arguing with each other. Or at least their conversation is heated. That's the impression that the language gives us. They're going back and forth. This isn't idle chit-chat. They're trying to make sense of all that's happened. They're bewildered. The women came back from the tomb. The tomb's empty. Visions of angels. What in the world? Peter and John ran to see, but the tomb was empty. And so they're hurt, they're shocked, they're bewildered, they're confused. And so Jesus walks up, and it says their eyes are restrained. God keeps them from seeing their friend, their Lord. He's got something to teach them. And he asks, in true Jesus fashion, so what are you guys going back and forth about? And their reaction is, is notable. They just stop. They, they stop cold. And then finally, one of them has the courage, maybe the indignation, a little indignant, that this stranger would come up and ask us a question. And so he says, are you the only person who's visited Jerusalem this weekend who has no clue what's been happening? And again, Jesus the Good Shepherd says, what's been happening? And so they unload. They pour out their sorrow. They talk about what they've witnessed, what they've seen. So where did they go wrong? It's all in their answer. Suffice it to say, they were looking for the wrong Jesus. They were looking for the wrong Jesus. First they say, well, we're, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before the people, and before God, and all of those things were true as far as they went. They just didn't go far enough. Jesus is a man, but he's also God. Jesus was the prophet. He was the prophet to end all prophets that Moses talks about in Deuteronomy 18. But he was more than a prophet. He was the king. And the part they really can't reconcile 
right? When they say that they, they, the centerpiece of their answer, what really puts the finger on their pain is this. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. We really thought he was going to be the guy. They could not reconcile crucifixion with the Messiah. They could not reconcile the death of Jesus with the triumph of God. And so they were looking for the wrong Jesus. They were expecting a Messiah, right? They looked at the Old Testament, they read the Old Testament, and they saw a Messiah coming and conquering God's enemies by force and restoring God's people to glory. And so they missed the Messiah who came and conquered God's enemies by love in order to restore God's people to the only glory that mattered. They read the prophets and understood the Messiah's victory, but they overlooked the Messiah's suffering. And so they're bewildered, right? Because after all, a king can't conquer your enemies by dying. Or can he? And what they did is they had taken God, they'd taken his word, and they had remade him into their image. They had, they had taken their desires and put, in God, and put God on the hook for them. They had taken even God's word and said, See here, this is what we want. This is, this is what the Messiah is going to do for us. And so they were frustrated. Again. And they'd been frustrated for thousands of years now. And we can't be too hard on them because you and I do the same thing. We take Jesus and we put him on the hook for our desires. We say, this is what God is going to do in my life. This is what God has come to do. And when he doesn't do it, we're frustrated. We're disappointed. Right? We miss... Jesus, we're not looking for the right Jesus. So whether it's the health and wealth prosperity movement that says Jesus wants your life to be this way, he wants you to be healthy and wealthy, he wants you to be happy, no suffering, eventually that movement ends in frustration because that's the wrong Jesus. How do we do that? How do you do that? Are we looking for the right Jesus? And how does our vision get corrected? How does our frustration turn into joy? Well, let's see what Jesus did, right? First, he calls them foolish. <clears throat> and he says that they're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. They believe some of what the prophets had spoken, but not all of it. So where does Jesus take them? The Bible. What a novel idea. When Jesus wants to explain and teach himself, he takes people to the Word, right? And what they had of the Bible at that point was what, was what we call now the Hebrew Bible, Genesis through Malachi, okay? 
So when Luke says uh, that Jesus went through Moses and all the prophets, it means he began at the very beginning. We believe Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Yeah, right? He went through Moses, and then the prophets were a convenient way of summarizing the rest of Scripture. So he probably began at Genesis 3.15 and talked about how even in the face of Adam and Eve's sin, there was coming a son of Eve who was going to crush, who was going to bruise the head of the serpent. And then building on that promise, he develops this this idea of the Messiah. But even there in Genesis 3.15, the one who would bruise the head of the serpent would also what? Have his heel bruised. The son of promise was going to have to suffer. He was going to be victorious, but he was going to have to suffer. And so he goes through the scriptures showing them that death and crucifixion were the necessary path the Messiah had to take to glory. Right? <clears throat> One of the reasons I enjoy Google Maps and GPS so much is that when, I, when I'm going a place, I can look at several different routes, and it'll even tell me which one it thinks is faster. It's not always right. Um, right? But we love, we love finding the shortcut. But if you wanted to drive to Fort Morgan on the eastern side of the Mobile Bay, there's only one road you can take, and that's Fort Morgan Road. If you want to get to Kiva Dunes, which is down there, the Peninsula Resorts, which are down there, there's no shortcut. You've got to take Fort Morgan Road. Philippians 2 that we read for our call to worship reminds us, tells us there was no shortcut to glory for Jesus. His path, his road to glory had to go through Calvary, had to go through the cross. And ours does too. So we begin to see a little bit better. Our vision begins to be corrected, just like these disciples on the road. And then they get to their destination and it's late, And let's be honest, this is probably the best sermon they've ever heard, right? Jesus teaching the Bible, okay? And so they say, stay with us. Stay with us. Eat dinner with us. It's late. Don't go on. And so Jesus stays. And oddly enough, they give him the job of host. Maybe it's because they can tell there's something special about this guy. There's something special about this teacher. He gets the job of blessing and serving the bread. And and as Jesus blesses, or as Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and serves it, he opens their eyes. They see him. They see, their, they see their Lord. They see their master. And he disappears. And that's when they look at each other and say, of course, of course it was him. Didn't, didn't our hearts burn within us while he opened the scriptures up to us? You remember what that felt like? You remember what it was like to have Jesus teaching the Word? Right early on in the Gospels, it says that when people heard Jesus, they sat and listened because it was, it was the voice of authority. The Pharisees, the scribes, eh, sometimes they got it right, most of the time they didn't. But when Jesus taught, he taught as one who had authority. And their hearts were burning, and they recognized their Savior, and joy is restored.
right? Jesus teaches them. He, he takes them through the Scriptures. And then there at the end, he opens their eyes. They see him. They're overjoyed. They run back in the dark seven miles to Jerusalem. They find where the, the, the core of the disciples, the 11 apostles, are staying. And as they break in the door, they find they're already celebrating. They're already saying, Jesus is risen. He appeared to Peter. And then they get to tell their story. They get to tell what happened to them. And so it's not, maybe we shouldn't have sunrise services on Easter. Maybe we should have sunset services, right? Whereas it gets dark and the disciple finally dawns on the disciples, oh, Jesus is alive, right? Jesus had to die to conquer sin. And he had to be raised to conquer death. See, those are the enemies that matter. Rome, as far as what the Jews wanted, was Rome to be gone and Israel to be top of the heap again. But Rome didn't matter in the face of the kingdom of God because its doors were about to be blown wide open as the kingdom covered the earth. The enemies that mattered were sin and death. Those were the enemies that had to be conquered and, and those, are, those are the enemies that were conquered on that Easter weekend. But did you notice at what point the disciples were able to recognize Jesus? Right? It, it's kind of like the, um, that scene from Finding Nemo. Okay. We've been watching that movie in our house a lot recently. <laughs> a lot. And if you haven't seen the movie, uh, there's a fish named Dory. She's got a bit of a memory problem. Right? And... Ironically, she's the one who has to help Nemo's dad cross the ocean to find his son. These are all, these are all fishes we're talking about, by the way. Okay. Um, but when they get to the end, something happens. And Nemo's dad, Marlon, gives up. He thinks, Nemo's, he thinks Nemo's gone. He thinks Nemo's dead. And so he leaves Dory to swim home, dejected, Right? And as he leaves, Dory begins to lose everything that's happened. She had been holding on to it, but then her, her memory problems come back and she begins to forget again. And then Nemo pops out of the sewage pipe. Gross, right? And he finds Dory, whom he's never seen in his life. She's never seen him, right? She's just kind of swimming around in circles, trying to remember, trying to think about what, what, what did I lose? What happened? What's going on? Right, and Nemo says, hey, can you help me find my dad? She's like, okay. And so they start swimming off. They start swimming off. And as she passes the pipe, she looks at it, and she reads the word Sydney. And that was part of the address that she had been holding on to the whole time. That was how they found Nemo, was an address in Sydney, Australia. As soon as she sees the word Sydney, bam, it all comes back a flashback, all these different scenes, all these things they've endured together through the ocean, getting there. All of a sudden, she realizes who's swimming next to her, and she screams, Nemo, and she hugs him, and it's great, right? This huge flashback from one moment brings all the other moments back. I wonder if that's what it was like sitting in that house in Emmaus when Jesus breaks the bread. Maybe they saw the scars in his hands. I don't know. But when he breaks the bread, as he'd done so many times in front of them before, it all floods back. Why is that so, so significant? Luke mentions it twice. Why does it matter that it was the breaking of the bread that opened, that finally, at that point, that he finally opened their eyes? Think about the last time that they had broken bread together. It was the Last Supper, right? 
And Jesus breaks the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. He was explaining, even then, I'm going to have to sacrifice myself so that you can be made whole and right, so that you can be saved. And I think what that, why that's significant is we won't understand Jesus until we understand him as the crucified and risen Lord. We have to understand Jesus as the one who sacrificed himself. He was the one who was broken for us. All other attempts at knowing and understanding Jesus will fall short if they don't come through that avenue. If we don't go through the cross to Jesus, we won't understand. We won't see Jesus and we won't know joy. And so that's where I, I, I leave it with you. What, what do you do with Jesus? Is he a prophet? A great teacher? A moral man? Yes, all of those. A towering religious figure like Muhammad and Buddha? He is a towering religious figure. That's true. But he's more. He's the one whose body was broken. He's the one who sacrificed himself. And until we grasp that, until you grasp that, you will be blind and frustrated. So I invite you, come to the crucified one. Come to the one whose body was broken at Calvary. Come to the only one who can redeem your soul. Amen. Father in heaven, We're so glad that you intervene in grace to open our eyes that even when we have you wrong, just as these disciples did, even though we're looking for the wrong Jesus, you come to us and you show us the right one. You come to us and you correct us. We see in your word, we see by your grace, revealing it to our eyes, that you are the Christ. You indeed are the real Messiah. Not a, not a false one on whom we can pin our hopes and desires, but the real Messiah who comes and executes his own will, executes his own plan and purpose. And thank God that you do. And you do it in our lives. So, Father, I pray that all of us, all of us would see the real Jesus, not one of our own making, but the real Jesus of the Word, revealed on the cross to save us from our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen.